hello, hello. Welcome, everybody. Crypto Talk with Brianna and Scott. So, doing good today. How about you, Brianna? What's going on? I'm doing great, Scott. I'm happy to be here. I've had a, I've had a productive week. I feel like it was just yesterday that we had our last talk, but yeah. I've had a good week. I've had a good week. A good balance of enjoying the summer and um, work. So, yeah, it's all been good. How's your good. week been? Well, I- yeah, well, it's been pretty good, pretty productive. There's actually a lot of a lot of crypto news going on today, so or this week, so that's been great. Um, yeah, as far as the summer, you know, you're you're um, in your neck of the woods. It's nice, and you know, you've got no humidity. And I'm looking to travel up to the northwest next week, so I'm looking forward to getting some of that nice summer weather with no humidity. Because here in the Midwest, it's just hot and humid, <laughs> kind of muggy. So. Uh, yeah, that'll be good. I see you've been out hiking and doing some fun stuff, right? Getting out there. I have been. Yes. I I can't sit inside with the sunshine outside. I have to be out in it. As long as I can keep it balanced, then I don't feel too guilty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I know because, you know, you can get kind of to be a crypto slug just sitting in front of your computer screens all, all the time. So it's good to get out, um, even though I've been known to take my laptop outside. So I'm getting a little bit of both. I don't know if that's cheating or not. <laughs> I think that's a good method. I try to if my if my internet connection will let me. I try to go outside with it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, cool. All right. So hopefully to, today will be a little bit lighter than it was last week. I kind of got into the woods last week. Uh, yeah, uh, a little little negative, but uh, it was worth it. And uh, I'm feeling good and positive this week. Although you know I've, I've been you know I've been really studying or paying. A lot more attention to traditional finance way more after I got into crypto um, because it's all combined especially you know when I got into crypto originally my thought was oh this Bitcoin this crypto thing this is a hedge against inflation and against the dollar and against all the crazy money printing and everything and although I still believe it is what I found out though is that the the crypto market and the traditional markets are combined a lot more than I thought they would be and so it was a I was I've been you know, for a while now, I've been trying to de- figure out why, what, what is, why is that? So I do pay a lot more attention to the traditional financial markets, really to understand crypto better. And so I've got a piece of news today that, that I won't spoil it totally, but that talks a little bit about that. Um, and um, yeah, so I'll just leave it at that. So I hear that's really interesting. interesting stuff. I'm, yeah. so glad, yeah, I'm so glad that you said that. That's actually along the lines of what I am planning to talk today too. And Scott and I don't share what we're going to be talking about. We just bring our topics to the show. So it'll be interesting to see, but I'm in the same boat. I don't know much about traditional finance. I think that you know more than I do. Um, But I know more about decentralized finance um, at this point in time. And so I'm trying to learn as well about traditional finance along the way, because it's very easy. I've, I've I've drawn my conclusions along the way as to how things go, but I don't really understand the inner workings of it. So I'm trying to find so that I can make the right judgment for crypto as well and just find the connection. It it is very well connected. It's becoming more connected. So yeah, we'll we'll just get to it and see, I guess, where, how much our articles are alike. I have a feeling they might be similar or they could be maybe different. Okay. So you want to go ahead and start? (laughs) Sure. Yeah. So, right, so I before we share talking my before we share the screen, or do you want yeah, to? Yeah, I'll start talking before we share my screen because I want to talk a little bit about what I've been kind of diving into over the last couple of weeks, trying to understand that traditional finance. And what I was trying to understand were bailouts, and it's kind of another thing, Scott. It's something that isn't the most happy and joyful to talk about, but it's something to still understand, and it's something that's now happening in crypto. So I first kind of am looking at traditional finance and understanding what's happened. Um, Because in my mind, as somebody who is new to understanding all of this, I look at crypto and decentralized finance as a way to solve a lot of those problems that have been happening in traditional finance. Um, And so I'm trying to take different accounts that have happened in the past. And um, I'm hoping that we don't just have a repeat in different forms of what's been happening. So I've, I've been researching bailouts and um, I just wanna start first with traditional finance. I just gathered a couple facts here about what happened with one instance with traditional finance and a bailout. 
So a bailout is to provide financial assistance to any entity who is about to fail. Who is most affected by a failing economy? That is us. We are, you and I, the everyday person, middle class, lower class business owners, what's left of the middle class, I should say. And we see a lot of the top dogs get richer throughout those bailouts. So do bailouts actually help the most affected? That was a question that I was asking myself. According to documents from the Freedom of Information Act and published by Bloomberg Markets magazine, from the start of the financial crisis of 2007 to March of 2009, the Fed loaned or guaranteed the banks $7.7 trillion, about half of the value of all goods and services produced from the U.S. economy, 11 times the $7 billion in aid provided by TARP. On December 5th, 2008, the banks borrowed $1.2 trillion from the Fed. Furthermore, the banks borrowed that with as little as one to one hundredth of so 1% interest. The banks were spared the need of selling off assets that paid much higher rates. Banks made an estimate of 13 billion on the spread on money that they borrowed for free from the Fed. So the banks actually made $13 billion within that bailout. They also did not provide where that money went. Um, and the nation's six largest banks saw their assets grow by 39% from September 2006 from 6.8 trillion in 2006 to 9.5 trillion in 2011. And of course, this is one perspective. We can find facts that say how this benefits us as the people as well. Um, and it's hard to kind of read between the lines. You kind of have to read between the lines. Um, do you have any thoughts on this, Scott? Um, yeah, um, yeah, that is fantastic. Fascinating, because yeah, we're both again. We didn't. We don't really know what each of us are going to kind of bring to the table. But I've been studying the the same exact stuff, um, and I find yeah, the whole bailout thing fascinating. And can we ever learn our lesson? You know. So so when you're talking about the bailouts, so you were talking about 2006. Where you looked was it talking about through 2008 and nine? So the financial crisis of 2007 yeah. to, yeah, the mark, to March of 2009. Yeah, yeah. I always, it's funny because some people say 2008, the financial crisis of 2008, that's kind of the year it seems to stick in my mind. Uh, 2008 is when, and then 2009, and then is when things really fell apart. And then the economy, you know, took, took a, a nosedive. And it's when, and I remember this, you know, vividly, that I, there was real talk about the economy just in a free fall that could literally crash it. And that's this too big to fail thing, um, you know, that you're kind of talking about, the bailouts. And that's why they, you know, the government felt they needed to bail out the big banks at that point because they were just afraid that if they all go under, or even a couple of them, it's going to take everything down with it. And it was really scary. Scariest thing that's happened in that, in, in my lifetime, as far as at the time, I remember watching the news and really being, wow, worried about that. And um, and then at the aftermath of it, as, as you're alluding to and probably going to talk more about, is this whole bailout thing and the fact that the the big banks got bailed out. Okay, the government bailed them out. Okay, at the time, probably was the best thing to do at the time. But then it just kind of kept going. And they... And I remember also seeing in the news about the executives of these banks who, you know, were getting million dollar bonuses, you know, a couple of years after in 2010, 2011. And, you know, the rest of the economy was, you know, tanked. And that was the big time when they kept talking about Main Street. You know, there's Wall Street and then there's Main Street and how Main Street was really suffering and how Wall Street, who in, in a lot of ways caused it, it was a lot of extra crazy lending like irresponsible lending it was these banks you know just lending money to anybody and it, and it really started with the housing bubble crashing you know in and, and, and so it started 2005 six seven and eight they were just lending money to any and everybody and and then some crazy you know financial instruments some derivatives and some you know credit swap stuff that you know they brought in these quantum physics guys 
into Wall Street to create these crazy financial mechanisms where they could earn more money, but nobody understood them. And eventually it all came crashing down and, and the banks got bailed out. And yet Wall Street suffered and the, the, the executives got bonuses. And so for that really rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Um, and as you know, Bitcoin and crypto came out of that. They came out of that crisis. You know, Satoshi says in his white in his white paper that this is the financial system that won't be able to crash or be taken advantage of like we've just seen in the 2008 crisis. And, and so Bitcoin was born out of this exact same thing that you're talking about. So this is why it does all mesh together. And there's lots more examples that, you know, we'll probably un unveil. But um, yeah, there is a great book by Ray, Ray Dalio that um and i can't remember the name i was going to look it up um that really goes into all the history of finance if you're really kind of interested in that now it's probably one of the a book you should pick up um because it talks about all these all these sectors and what's happened in the in history and i just think and it's interesting that you're doing this too i am and i think a lot of people in crypto whether they were whether they were understood or well understood in traditional finance or not when you get into crypto you, when you start to learn why crypto was even created, well, now we know. Out of this 2008 crisis, Bitcoin was born. And it was created to alleviate the, all the problems, like you said, that were caused and that happened up until that point through the traditional financial system. And so you get into crypto and you, you start to, to, to see this and you understand, wow, that's fascinating. And this is now the future. Blockchain and crypto are the future. And you just get interested in like, well, how did we get here? Where are we going in the future? And how can we make sure we don't make the same mistakes again, right? right. And that's why it's so interesting to go back and, and look at traditional finance and the history and what's going on. So you understand how crypto is and, and you pointed this out, which is the most important thing, I think. Let's not make the same mistakes again. And if we don't pay attention, it, it creeps in. You know, things are already starting to creep in a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> some regulations and stuff. And it's like, you don't, if you don't keep your eye on it, you're going to, we're going to be right back in the same situation. So I'm, that's probably why you got involved in it too. So yeah, like always, I have lots to say about stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, <laughs> you definitely ahead, know what I do. So I'm glad that I brought this to the table today. Sure. I always love hearing your point of view. And now we're starting to see it. We're in what many call, or what we've heard, a crypto winter, but some say it's a crypto ice age. And this began from the fall of Terra Luna was kind of the beginning of that. And we started to see a snowball effect with crypto charts tumbling. And the crypto community was kind of warned of the idea that many projects would be wiped out during that time and that only the strong would survive. And I mean, there were some pretty harsh warnings that you have to be really strong to survive. And when Terra Luna fell, which was it was completely obliterated at that time, that was a really big deal. It still is a big deal. And it seemed like that would be the worst thing almost that could happen, like the biggest thing that could happen. And as an investor, I can only speak for myself, but I had felt that while there would be many projects wiped out, I am still just shocked when I see things like when I saw Celsius platform tickets hit. And it's been somewhat of a reality check for all of us to everybody in the crypto community to really find ways to minimize risk and maximize security. And um, but now we're starting to see bailouts. And this is something new to the crypto world and there's varying perspectives. So that's what my articles are on today are the varying perspectives of these bailouts. So um, we'll go ahead and share my screen. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm interested to see which bailouts because, yeah, I'm just interested to see that because I haven't really heard of the term bailout in these cryptos. I mean, I, I, I know what's happening to Celsius and stuff, but yeah, I'm anxious to see your articles. All right, I, let me assign it. Hold on here. There we go. Perfect. Oh, I see. Yeah. SBF. That's what the, SBF. you can just call Sam Bakeman Freed, which, which, who is FTX. SBF. <laughs> SPF. SPF. I'm glad you said that because I didn't know if it was freed or fried and I was going to have to ask you, but that's him right there. He is yeah. actually, I, I screenshotted it. I, I screenshotted a little note here because he goes by SPF 
He's an American entrepreneur, billionaire, and investor. And he's the founder of CEO FTX, a cryptocurrency exchange, and FTX.us. Um, so as of February, the exchange averages $10, billions of daily, $10 billion of daily trading volume and has over 1 million users. And I just wanted to point that note out because there's so much, there's so much money involved here within these exchanges. So, um, and I, I, I think he's 30. He's 30 years old. He's a billionaire. I'm a little bit jealous. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I don't like to be jealous. Not but I'm a little... billionaire, but he is like right now, he's king crypto. Like, you know, you just can't say crypto without having him in this sort of the same conversation. And now I get it. Like, yeah, he's, he's coming to the rescue. Well, I'm going to let you talk about your article, but I've, I'm interested to see if how you're going to frame this or how your articles frame it, because there is quite a big difference between what's happening now and what happened in the past. But we'll see what happened. We'll see what we get here. So this this particular article is coming from the I have a couple articles stacked, but I think that this one right here is the one coming from Sam himself. And this is kind of his perspective. So SBF has handed out some 750 million in lifelines to BlockFi, BlockFi and Voyager after the two lenders went insolvent amid the current crypto crash. And he has made clear that more bailouts might be on the way from his companies, FTX and Alameda. I think I'm saying that right, Alameda Research. Mm -hmm. His emergency aid has earned his comparisons to JP Morgan during the crash of 1907. And to Atlas, holding up the entire crypto world, he's been called the industry, industry's savior, but both earnestly and cynically. But he doesn't want to be the only one offering bailouts. Hmm. What he says is, I would love if other people did that. I would be super happy for others to take that on instead of me. The reason that I have been doing it, frankly, is because it doesn't seem clear to me that there are others who are stepping up and doing that. So it, be, it continues to state that FTX has reached out to other presumably healthy crypto companies, to everyone we could in the ecosystem, in his words, looking to partner up on the bailout deals. In general, no was the answer, he said, or rather yes, followed by wait, that company looks like there might be a hole in the balance sheet and maybe there was something misman some mis mismanagement. And we were like, I don't know what you were expecting, dude. Why do you do thing? Why do you think they're looking for a bailout? So our sense has been that really, to a disappointing extent, haven't been that many people who have actually been game to pitch in here. SBF didn't name names, but the list of well-capitalized players in the industry, healthy enough to bail out airline companies, is pretty short. And so then this kind of goes on to, and if you have anything to add to that, Scott, or any. Yeah, let yeah, let me before we go on. Let me just let me just say a couple things here. Oh man, um, you know this is interesting. I haven't had I haven't thought exactly about a lot about this, but what's hitting me is, yeah, why should we bail these guys out? Because here we go again. Now the key difference, right, is that in the two thousand eight, it was the government, it was our, it was taxpayers that bailed out the banks. Here, and this is what's interesting about crypto. I mean everybody knows that's in crypto is that there is no government control over it yet. Um, and, and that's what we like about it, right? But that also means when things go bad, there's no, there's no bailout. There's no government bailout for sure. And so I think most of most people in crypto would agree. That's a good thing. That's what we wanted. We knew that going in. Most everybody in crypto knows that going in. So I agree in a way, why should we be bailing them out? And here's the other question. Uh, I, I wonder, I don't think SBF is doing it really out of the greatness of his heart, it, as it sounds. Um, you know, I'm sure he's a great guy, but you know, he wanted to, a lot of these, and Nexo is another big crypto exchange slash bank that is offered to buy some of these assets. And that's a different thing. Like if you buy some of the assets, yeah, some of them are going to be bad or whatever, but you're really buying assets, you know, cheap, you know, so you're, you're, so they're doing it to beef up their own, you know, balance sheet. And so when he says bailout, what does that actually mean? You know, again, is he going to, you know, take on some of their, some of their debts and, you know, maybe he'll make them work and 
maybe they won't. But or is he going to take over the whole company? So mm -hmm. I'm not sure I feel about it right now. I'm leaning towards, yeah, why should we bail these guys out? Now, if I had money in Celsius, maybe I'd feel dif differently. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I, I feel like we just have to reiterate again for, for maybe some newbies. The difference between a BlockFi and a Celsius and a Nexo versus truly decentralized, you know, exchanges and finance, because there is a big difference. In my mind, this is a big deal. These companies that were failing were not truly decentralized crypto full businesses. They were banks, basically, that played by some of the banking rules, which means they didn't disclose their books. They, you don't know who's investing in whatever. In true decentralized crypto on the blockchain, you know where all that money is. It's all transparent. These guys were not. And so nobody really knew how much debt and leverage they really had. And then they got into trouble. And so in DeFi, it's cut and clear, it's code, right? So when you put money into a decentralized smart contract, the contract dictates how much you can put in and how much you can leverage. And you can't really go over the numbers. You can't call up the banker and say, hey, you know what? I know you got this rule, but hey, you know, let me in, you know, and you know, wheel and deal, right? You can't, it's code. And so on the decentralized side, you know, you put it in there. And then if if the market goes down and you're over leveraged, then it automatically sells your collateral. There is no discussing about it. There's no calling up the banker and say, can you give me a couple more months? It happens, it's done. And actually that's what happened. Cause what these banks did was they took people's normal money, like people would walk into a bank. So they didn't have to go through the decentralized protocols and get their MetaMask wall and stuff. They just called up the bank, basically, I'm paraphrasing, and said, hey, I want to invest this money. You go figure out the best rates. They invested it then in crypto assets on these decentralized exchanges, which automatically sold a lot of the collateral, which then put them in dire straits because they, you know, they didn't have money to support all their clients. And so whether it's Sam Bankman-Fried bailing them out or the government, I'm not sure that that's a good idea. So I'll just leave it at that. Mm -hmm. That was my gut feeling as well. There's, there's a few different perspectives that are going to be coming up. And this is kind of also just a, it's kind of just kind of shows too as to how you can read something and the feels you get. So I like to pay attention to that as I'm reading something. And I, I, I kind of like to have a core structure that I go by. And that's kind of the same type of thing. Don't bail them out because we're going to repeat the same problems. Things There might be people that are hurt by it, but this is just part of it and it has to work itself out. And it's kind of prolonging it if we bail it out. In some ways, I see it that way. Um, and so let's take a look and see what Binance CEO CZ has to say on the subject because he feels kind of the same way as you do, Scott, in the same way that I do. So Binance co-founder, I haven't said this name before. I'm just going to go for it. He Yi did respond just last week. Binance announced that she will oversee its $7.5 billion venture arm. He Yi said, we are currently working on a number of deals which we will announce in due time. We are taking our time to invest in the most capable long-term founders who will shape the future of the industry. Projects that are here to stay for the long-term will benefit both our industry and users. We need, to, we need companies that can really create long-term value in the industry. Binance hasn't announced any bailout deals, but CEO CZ said he has been eyeing them. Many companies are short on money. That doesn't mean most of them are bad companies, he said, and those things we are perfectly willing to do. And we're looking at a high number of deals like that, and some of them are actually good deals. So I think you will see that we will be investing, bailing out, saving multiple projects. Was CZ among the calls SBF made to industry peers asking for help on a bailout offer? It's difficult to imagine that phone call, especially as FTX's average daily trading volume has caught up to Coinbase and ha has Binance in its sights next. And as SBF replied on the GM podcast when asked if the big exchange race is now over or is now between FTX, Coinbase, and Binance, yeah, that sounds about right to me. Obviously, there's push and pull here, 
and things do morph a little bit over time, but I think that's probably about roughly right in terms as of now, where the biggest centers are in the exchange space. Mm -hmm. So that is that mm -hmm. perspective. And if we have time for one more quick perspective, I'll share it with you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did go kind of heavy into this one. Um, I, I, it's just been calling to me and I felt like I needed to get it out of the way today so I don't have yeah. to, so I can just get it out of the way. Okay, so here's another perspective. I think that the picture of this person, I, was, I had to Google, I'm like, is this, who is this? But I think it's actually the author um, of the story itself. I think this is just the author of this story, this yeah, is his guy, opinion. That guy works for Decrypt. Or, uh, Decrypt. Okay, that yeah, yep, that's right. Yeah. Good memory, man. Daniel Roberts is his name. And what Daniel Roberts says, last month FTX extended a $250 million line of credit to battered crypto lender BlockFi. This is a little bit of an older um, article. This was back in July, I believe, that this article came out. So just keep that in mind. These, uh, the first articles were very recent, and this one was about a month ago. Um, okay, so one day later, Alameda Research, another SPF company, gave Voyager Digital a $500 million line of credit. Two weeks later, FTX came to terms to acquire BlockFi outright. SPF reportedly walked away from giving Celsius a similar rescue, and he told Reuters last week that FTX still has a few billion to help out other companies with one foot in the grave. This isn't about magnanimity, and it's hard to see this as a positive for the crypto industry. I had to Google magnanimity, and it basically That's means generosity. So. Generosity, yeah, good word. I haven't heard that one before. No, me neither. And it was, a, it was exactly what you pointed out, Scott. It's not about generosity. Um, and it's hard to see this as a positive for the crypto industry. In Voyager's case, it turns out Alameda already owed Voyager $377 million. It isn't often you see a borrower bail out a lender, or bail out mm -hmm. its lender. Binance CEO CZ criticized the Voyager bailout, telling us in an interview for the Next GM podcast, I would never do that type of deal. I would never say, I will invest in your company and then you loan me some money. I would just not invest in that company. I'll keep my money. Mm. So never the one to miss out on a chance for press. Tron CEO Justin Sun told The Block that he's prepared to shell out $5 billion to help ailing crypto companies. Cool, but these bailouts do not strike me as a healthy path out of the current. Crypto market depression. Side note, is it fair and accurate to refer to these financial lifelines as bailouts? I think it is, some disagree. Celsius, BlockFi, Voyager, and other crypto lenders that promised high yields for, for user deposits always looked too good to be true, and they were. They had delusional business models that presumed an up-only market environment. Do they deserve to be saved? To be fair, as CZ pointed out, it's better for users for companies that held their funds to get acquired rather than shut them down. This means that the users don't lose money or hopefully lose less money, he told us. He was also hesitant to shame the high yield lenders. His take, when the crypto market is booming like it was in 2020 and 21, if your project only gives 2% yield and this other project gives 10% yield, guess what? You're gonna lose users. That's a herd behavior. If somebody else is doing this, I gotta do this to stay competitive. But CZ also published as a blog post on June 23rd, an obvious subtweet of SBF in which he declared, don't perpetuate bad companies, let them fail. I like that thinking. I tend to think the current crypto winter will wash out the weak, fly by night players, and that the strong companies and projects will survive. The wheat will separate from the chaff. But CZ will completely contradict himself if he jumps in now and starts doing bailouts of his own. Mm. Yeah, the word bailout. Um, and that was it. interesting because I haven't heard that word a lot, you know, in crypto. It, you found two articles that use that word, but then in this article, they even questioned whether they should be calling it a bailout. I didn't really think of it as a bailout because for some reason, I guess because I was in, you know, sort of around in, in the 2008 bailout. To me, that's the government bailing these people out. That's our money. Um, I mean, technically, a bailout, I guess, is like you define the, the word. Um, but yeah, for me, it's the government. Um, and, and again, I, I, to me, when, when the government does it, you know, they're doing it in the guise of protecting the most, you know, the people, 
whether it turns out to be that way or not. When another for-profit business does it, I don't know if, again, I think they're doing it for their own good as much. You know, that's just not how business works. You don't just do things out of the goodness of your heart. Whether it's good or bad, Brianna, it just is sort of the way it is, right? Now, does it mean that you can do good and still benefit? I think we all try to do that, you know, in life, really. Um, but yeah, the word bailout is interesting. Uh, so I have actually, now that I've gotten my brain engaged in this, I actually have a pretty strong stance on, on this now because the, yeah, I always forget to go back to our interview. Mode. Yeah, let's bring it back up here. There you are. Yeah, so so I, I am not in favor of these companies like Celsius and BlockFi and Voyager because they, you know, it's just like, it bothers me that they are not fully decentralized and that I get it. There was this opportunity for them to do what they do and in, in this market. And, and so I'm not begrudging that, but now that this has happened, I'm like, okay, let's just weave these guys out of here. I don't think we'll ever get what, so I call these companies CFI. I'm not even sure how that's defined or why, you know, centralized finance, because you've got fintech and you've got you know DeFi, all this kind of stuff. But for some some reason, I saw a couple different articles that called these type of businesses CFI versus DeFi, truly decentralized. And these companies, I sort of picture as they're sitting on the fence. They're half into into crypto and half outside. They're like traditional banks, but they're using crypto assets to actually generate their their yield for their clients. But they I just don't like them. I do not like them. I'm going to just say it right now. I'd like to see them just get weeded out. I don't think it'll ever happen because there's, if there's always this opportunity, businesses will be there. But I am in favor of truly decentralized um, DEXs where you got to play by the whole rules. Everything's on the blockchain. Everything is visible. As a user, you have to play by those rules too. You can't call up anybody and say, hey, can I get in here or can you bail me out? You know, it's all done by code. And this is the beauty of crypto. This is what it is. This is what we all want in crypto to be completely decentralized. So what is what is it? It's trustless. It doesn't have to, we don't have to worry about these guys and these biz guys, people in these businesses that are trying to play both sides of the fence. There you go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Get them out I like of it. here. I like it. Yeah, no, I agree. You know, why waste the time? Weed them out. I'm right there with you. You sold me. And I've, I've done a lot getting into this. And I it's so easy to get stirred into these different sides. And it's a great thing to keep in mind. And this is something that totally blew me away when I enrolled in the in the course that we took together with London Real. Mm-hmm. Was I didn't realize when I was in Coinbase, because that's how I started as an mm-hmm. investor. I was in Coinbase on my phone. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that as soon as I was investing into... Um, whether it be Bitcoin, Ethereum, anything that I was going to invest in on my on Coinbase, it's a centralized exchange. It's basically like a bank. And as soon as I invest, it is it's not mine anymore. I can get it back mm-hmm. and it, it you know I can get it back. but if something were to happen to that centralized exchange, I could lose everything. And so being really taking accountability and being our own banker, is true DeFi. That's where we are. There is nobody else to fall back on other than us. We take accountability and we have to take responsibility. And um, that comes with a lot. It, it just comes with a lot of responsibility. Um, there's none of these bailouts. There's no falling back on. And like you said, that's what this is all about. And so um, I like I like the way you put that, that this, they, the central exchanges are like one foot in. They're on the fence. And so maybe this well, all just kind of means one thing that i want to sort of clear up a little bit and again you know i'm not like crypto expert here but i do distinguish the difference between an exchange like coinbase and celsius now i may not be perfectly perfectly on point here but for the most part what these like celsius with these cfi companies and that's why i really push them into cfi um they're not even in the business of being an exchange as we know it like Coinbase. Because, and I don't have any problem with Coinbase or Binance because how do you get, you got to get your fiat into crypto in the first place. So you can't, you can't 
play around or you can't invest on SushiSwap or Uniswap in a completely decentralized exchange unless you have crypto. And you got to get crypto somehow and you have to do that through these exchanges that and I don't even call them banks even though they're kind of like that but they're to me they're the they're the onboarding into crypto. You got to have them. I, I will always have that. You know, we got to get our fiat into crypto. So that's the, what these guys provide. Now they're doing a lot of stuff on the backside and they are doing some of the stuff that the Celsius doesn't do. But like Celsius, as far as I know, you don't use them necessarily because you want to, you know, buy some Bitcoin and then go exchange it on Uniswap. So, so these guys are CFI. And to me, it's like they're a whole different thing. Coinbase, Kraken, Binance, these are, their main function is to onboard crypto. And again, they do other stuff too, but that's their main function is to get you in there. And they, we need that. And so uh, they're always going to probably have to play the fence, you know, just because you got to go from, you know, the fiat side into crypto. Someone's got to play that game. The Celsius and the BlockFi's and the Voyagers, their business is just to use the assets to gain, uh, to gain, you know, interest so they can give their, uh, their users. Um, when someone goes to Celsius, they aren't looking to get into decentralized finance at all. They're looking to make money from this bank. So I just want to make that that point clear um yeah but you know that that's so there's places for everybody in here except for in my opinion these cfi guys i don't you know get them out of here coinbase those exchanges the centralized exchanges like coinbase and and binance they're fine um yeah i had a thought and i lost it but uh, yeah so there is a, there are places for people i i think what i was going to say was Unfortunately, because wherever there is an opportunity to make money and whether you play by the rules or not, and again, I'm not saying they're doing anything illegal, but they weren't playing by the decentralized rules. Like, you know, the, like, I don't know. I don't even know why I say that, but you know, it's like, they're not, they're, they're trying to like play both sides of the fence. And that will always be, you're always gonna have people that are gonna try to exploit any opportunity they can. Um, I get that, but we should hold them accountable and we should find out who they are and point them out and say, these are these kind of people, <laughs> you know, they're doing this. So watch out, which means we can't see what's going on behind the curtain. Whereas if you're purely decentralized, we can. And, and I do give Coinbase and these other centralized exchanges sort of a, you know, I think that the, the, if they are investing our money and putting it in the blockchain, then we need to be able to see that. Whereas in Celsius, you couldn't, you couldn't really see what was going on. Um, and how much money they had in there. So I don't know, you know, exactly how Coinbase or Binance, if they're doing some of the same things, if they are, I would hope that they were trying to be transparent. Like you could see, here's how much money they have leveraged with their clients because they're trying to be the good guys. We know that they're needed, but if we find out that they're playing both sides of the fence, then, mm, then I don't know. I'm not saying they are, but anyways, all right, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Good points there, Scott. You never cease to fail. <laughs> I'm curious to see what you have on your end. That was all that I had today. Okay, cool, cool. All right, let's pull up some. I'm just got, I've just got, I'm just going to randomly pull some of this stuff. No, no order. All right, so let's do this. Okay, I think this is going to be. This was kind of interesting. It was a really quick synopsis of this guy, 15 stories from last week. And I just really, there's not a lot of depth in this, but I'll, there are some things that caught my eye that I highlighted in red here. All right. So this is a new crypto credit card. There's been a lot of credit cards that come out. Let's see, why did this one? So, oh, crypto exchange Binance is gonna come out with a, uh, a credit card with MasterCard they're going to offer a prepaid crypto card in Argentina. The aim of making crypto payments more accessible in the region. The card allows Binance users with a valid identification card to use some cryptos, including Bitcoin and Binance's BNB token for daily transactions and earn up to 8% on their cash back. So this is really cool because as you know, Argentina is one of the few, if only uh, countries that Bitcoin is their currency, the currency of their country. And that was a big deal when they decided to do that. But 
When I got into crypto a couple years ago, that was big news. But now, from what I can tell, it's not really going that good. It's not going that well because, well, let me ask you this question, Bjorn. If you could go down to the corner drugstore and buy a Coke with your Bitcoin, let's say you had a credit card that just pulled your Bitcoin out and you could buy a Coke from it, you could, would you do it? Scott, I'm a hodler. <laughs> I don't yeah. like to let go of my crypto. I don't like to let go of my crypto assets. When right. I get them, I don't want to. I don't want them to be gone. <laughs> okay, that is exactly how most people would answer that question. I think in that have Bitcoin. Who wants to get? You don't want to get rid of your Bitcoin. Bitcoin isn't. So this is the interesting thing about crypto, right? Bitcoin was created. It was created to become a currency that we could use to pay for goods and services. It has not become that way. I don't know if Bitcoin will ever be that. My guess is no. But what Bitcoin did become is digital gold. Bitcoin became an asset that we save, that we hodl, that we keep because we know the it's a valuable commodity. And it is being considered a commodity now. And its price, like gold, is going to go up. And so who wants to buy who wants to buy a Coke with their Bitcoin that you know could work be worth hundreds of dollars? versus what you might pay for this stupid Coke, you know? But it's fascinating because that's exactly what Bitcoin was created for, or at least in the in the minds of a lot of crypto maxis and, and hardcore, right? And so even in Argentina, where where we all thought, oh, this is great, they're gonna it's gonna be their currency. Now they're gonna be using it to buy goods and services. It's not working because Argentinas know they don't want to get rid of their Bitcoin. So this is an interesting attempt to see if people will. My guess is this isn't gonna help at all. It's still the Bitcoin. If, if, if the credit card is going to pull out their Bitcoin, if they're smart, they're not going to want to spend their Bitcoin on goods and services. What do you think about that? That's a good point. That's a great point. If it were a stable coin, USDC right. or something along those lines, I'd have no problem sending it. Yep. Um, and that's what we're hoping be, to get to. It'd be a different story because it's just that would be a match to the dollar. Um, but right. it seems like it, it seems like it could get pretty messy. Um, not only as you you're giving your Bitcoin away to pay for a Coke that could possibly that Bitcoin can go up, but it also seems like it could get messy for the receiver who could then lose on absolutely that as well. So absolutely. good point. And that's why it's not working. That's why no one is doing it. So. I find it interesting that Argentina has accepted that. And I guess I didn't understand the ramifications because I thought this was a great thing. And it still may be, and there's probably there's probably interesting nuances that I don't understand, but I don't understand how any country really can adopt Bitcoin as their main currency because of what we just talked about. You know, why would why would you want to use that day to day? Now there is there are companies, well, I'm I'm just gonna throw this out here, but I don't have any lot of data yet, but I, I think I should go look into this because um, who is the guy you might know? The guy that um, he he runs a a cash service that runs on top of Bitcoin on Litecoin that actually does do transactions through the Bitcoin network, but you're actually not paying for the services in in Bitcoin. What it actually does is it uses the Bitcoin network to have all the security and get the the assets from say one person in one country to another person in the other country. But by the time you get it to the person, it converts it back to fiat. Do you know who that is? Hmm. I'm not sure. I'm not sure yeah, that's a, a new concept I bet you me. would if I could remember the guy's name. He's a character. He he was, he's, if you see some of his videos, he's a young kid and he's just very, very sort of brash and out there. But but even, even he, they're not, they get it. They're like, you don't want to use your Bitcoin for the actual payment, but the network itself is an amazing secure network. And he kind of just, runs that cash app on top of it, which is kind of interesting. Um, hmm. I'll have to look that up. We'll talk. Um, I'll get that so that we can come back because it is an interesting uh, case. Yeah, that is, yeah, it is. Okay. So this is kind of a stupid one. I want to throw it in there because it's interesting. So this pension fund in Fairfax County, Virginia, um, it's putting $6.8 of their funds in into... Um, no, it's a 6.8 billion pension fund. They're putting 70 million into crypto yield farming funds. Um, well, a couple cool things here. One, I used to live in Fairfax County, Virginia, and I find that really interesting that, wow. that they're they're one of the most progressive. I've heard their name and other things that they are 
this isn't the only area. They they've been investing in uh, crypto and in Bitcoin for they're one of the the first. So it's pretty cool. The second thing is this is what I've been told when this starts to happen on a massive scale, this is when we'll know that really Bitcoin and and crypto well, it's not going away, but this is when things will, it'll totally get adopted. Um, they're one of the very few pension funds that are doing this. If, you know, there's probably a handful, I don't know. Um, we know some big banks are moving in, Goldman Sachs, you know, people, you know, are, are doing different things with big, big money in Bitcoin. But I was, this is when the pension funds get in. We know that the time has arrived and now everybody will flow in. So these guys were one of the first to do it. So I just thought that was interesting. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, we're seeing a lot. And um, you pointed out that we have all the big kind of names coming in. I've been seeing articles from like Citibank now is putting out crypto articles. So I find that kind of funny when that's the writer of the article is Citibank and it's on crypto. Yep. <laughs> yeah, they're all getting in. They're all definitely, you know, moving in to it in one way or the other, tiptoeing. Um, and I've got another article about another big guy coming in. But Starbucks is really where I office. I go there every day. Now it's pretty cool that they're gonna have this cool NFT, coffee-themed NFTs. And I want, I don't know if it's it next month's investor day. I don't huh. know if the public will get to see these, but I think that's freaking cool because I'm a huge Starbucks <laughs> fan and I want a coffee-themed NFT, damn it. <laughs> so is that going to be your first? Because you don't have an NFT yet, do you? I don't. And it, oh, might be, man. it might be good old Starbucks. I don't know. So I'll have to keep an eye on that one. Uh, okay. Jewelry brand Tiffany unveiled a new line of 250 customized diamond CryptoPunk branded necklaces. What is the world coming to? This NFT thing is crazy. $50,000 diamond necklaces with crypto punks on it from tiffany now come on i mean is the world just totally bought into this or what <laughs> oh that's funny that is crazy yeah it's funny but it just it is funny it just shows you what man you get on a roll and boy i don't know how long this nft thing is gonna last. well i think nfts let me back that up are wonderful it's they're going to be around forever. They're going to have so much utility. But the old art thing and paying millions of dollars for a crypto punk, I still don't get it. But Tiffany does. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I must be in the minority. It just comes along with the, I think it comes along too with the, the um, social media. And then you can, people can flex with their Tiffany necklace yeah, and all of that. There's just that, right. there is that world that gets real caught up on that kind of stuff. Right. So, so, but that's what's, yeah. So that's, I can just see this now. So you've got, you know, so you've got the, you've got the social media guys, you know, the, the influencers or whatever, and they're flexing on their social media accounts with their profiles. Right. And they've got a, a punk or a bowl or whatever is awesome. Now, can you just see a Valley girl just walking down the street with her crypto punk you know, <laughs> Tiffany diamond thing? So talk about flexing and how different it is now. I don't know. I do think you'd look pretty good in a crypto punk Tiffany diamond <laughs> necklace. So, not that you're oh, a valley man. girl or anything. <laughs> uh, I, oh gosh, I don't. You're not gonna see me. I hate to say it, but you're not gonna see me don't with one. <laughs> okay. But right, I, think it's, about, I think it's exciting that's happening. Yeah, it is exciting. It's fun. It's fun, you know. And that's why I'm laughing at it, making fun at it, because I like that it's fun. It's big money and stuff, but it's fun. Uh, speaking of social media, then Instagram, uh, this is kind of interesting. So meta. So let me just ask you, what is your feeling about Facebook meta getting into becoming, you know, this big Web3 crypto player? What do you think about that just in general? Okay, I have the only thing I can base this off of is the headlines that I see with Facebook. I think that Facebook is trying to, I don't want to be too negative, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, and, and there are things about Facebook I really appreciate, but I do think that um, they're trying to claim this name of Meta. They've tried to do that from the beginning. This isn't what this is all about. 
they, um, I, I don't think that they're going to be successful. I think this is going to be the end of the Facebook era. I'm hoping in some ways that it is. Um, I think they might draw a crowd for some time. We'll see if the trend catches on. I think that's going to be, they're going to maybe have a lot of, they're, they're, they're very smart and they're probably yeah. going to have a lot of things that will attract people in. Yeah. Pretty light, flashy things. And that will be what keeps it afloat if it does. But I'm, I'm seeing it crumble, I think. And I think that we are going to see a shift from Facebook to other, to other uh, areas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, that, that's a good way to put it. I mean, that, that was a very realistic way. It's, I totally agree. I, I, exactly what you said. I think they will attract some people. Um, they're smart. They know this is where it's at. The question is, does a for-profit business that has really made it on gathering our data and then keeping it from us in a lot of ways and, and behind our back, using it behind our backs in ways that we don't know. That is the antithesis of what crypto is supposed to be about, what the blockchain is supposed to be about. So so can a company that that's their main thing, that's how they've made all their money, that's, you know, they used all their smartness that way. Really, crypto is the antithesis of that. It's full crypto, full Web3 is moving away from Web2, which was Facebook and Google and everybody that, that used our data against us. So be interesting to see. So I totally agree with you. I don't think it's negative. I think it's just the reality of what crypto is, what they have been, and they're trying to, you know, control it. Uh, I would say that, that it, a true crypto fans, most of us, I guess I can speak for myself. You know, I don't want that to happen. And you said it too. You don't want it to happen. Um, we'll see what morphs out of it. Okay. So from that, let me get back um, to my sharing. The, just a little blurb here. It says Meta is expanding its Instagram digital asset integration to 100 countries. The regions include the Americas, Asia Pacific, Middle East, and Africa. That was an interesting part. But it says Meta adopted the Flow blockchain to allow individuals to post assets minted on the Flow blockchain on Instagram. So what I thought was interesting is, okay, um, I guess I, I I knew this was coming. I guess it's probably been around the Flow blockchain, which is Facebook's blockchain. And there you can mint, doesn't say NFTs, but you can mint NFTs and ERC-20 tokens, I guess, on this, obviously, if it's a blockchain. And Instagram is somehow connected to it. This, I don't have any more data on this. And so I know it's kind of like, what does this mean? There's no info here. But the point of it is, is to discuss a little bit like we did about Facebook and them, what we think about them moving into crypto. And they're, you know, they've got their own blockchain. What are they doing with it? I don't know. Uh, what is this flow blockchain? And what does it mean you can have assets minted on it? So we'll see. We'll see. Mm. They're coming. They are a charging hard. <laughs> we know that. Mm-hmm. What's in a title? Okay, so this is a little bit about um, regulation. I'll, I'll, I won't read these senators' names, but it says they have a bill that would... Ex- so this is interesting. They would exclude miners and other node operators and wallet manufacturers from the definition of a broker. In a 2021 infrastructure law that imposed new tax reporting requirements on those facilitating crypto transactions. Well, here's what this means to me that you know they're looking to uh, put regulations on there. What they're saying is that if you are uh, facilitating crypto transactions, a la Coinbase, a la, I guess, any, any sort of blockchain layer one, except for Bitcoin, <laughs> since they've, they've already said that that's going to be a commodity and not necessarily a, uh, uh, an, ec- uh, yeah, an equity that you need to be taxed on, but it is kind of cool that they're saying, look, you know, we don't want to lump miners in here because that would, that's not fair. We need the miners. We need node operators and wallet manufacturers. They're part of crypto, but let's not just lump them into all of this. So I was kind of glad to see this little bitty blurb that kind of indicates to me that they're thinking good. They're thinking, you know, they're not just trying to lump everything into it and just tax mm-hmm. everything. So I'm kind of glad. Again, really little snippets here, but I thought it was uh, interesting enough to just, you know, bring it up and say, you know, this is interesting. Let's hope that this there's more of this where they're trying to think instead of just blatantly, you know, putting restrictions on crypto. Mm-hmm. 
it would be interesting to get that from a minor standpoint. I do know a couple of minors. I should try to get try to get one to come on and we can talk get to them about minors. it. Yeah, that'd be cool. All right. That looks like it's been, okay. Interest this is an interesting little article. So this is about what's happening right now in the charts. And so like I said, I, I watch now, you know, the 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 Nasdaq and the S and P five hundred and and what the Fed is doing, I'm paying attention to this stuff, which I didn't do before I was into crypto, but I do want to know because they're connected. And so when, when the stock market's up, crypto's up, when the stock market's down, crypto's been down. But check this out. Um, so the S&P is back up to 4,200. It's just 11% below the all-time high, which is crazy. With all of the bad economic news and inflationary thing, the stock market is, is going up, which I think is actually scary. Because to me, I'm afraid that the underlying economic basis is is not supporting the stock market going up, which means a bubble, which means a crash, but we'll see. So the Fed comes out, uh, the Fed, so the stock market goes up and the, and the Fed says, oh, I guess we've done our job. We've, we've you know calmed inflation down. So the Fed now is going to ease and not maybe raise rates again. But this guy says, no, but they won't. Because we've rallied and they're going to look at it and say, oh, wait a minute, the stock market shouldn't be going up and we need to we, we need to correct this somehow. So it says financial conditions are arguably easier now than when the Fed started hiking rates. Stocks are rising, mortgage rates are falling, credit spreads are tightening and banks are lending freely, but it's not exactly what the Fed had in mind. And so what they really wanted was to just, they thought... They thought raising the rates would crush all this. That would, you know, that we wouldn't have all these good things happening until further out, until a little bit later. So it's a little bit of the nuance. And again, I don't, this data I didn't want to go through it because I hardly understand it. But I, I think there, my point that I wanted to bring up was a couple things. Um, will the Fed raise rates again? What the heck is going on? Interest rates. You know, came down just a smidge, which is good. The question is, you know, are they going to, when they look at the stock market and what seems like things are going really well, are they afraid that means that they didn't do enough? Because there are people that say, well, the Fed, what, right or wrong, really needed to just put a stomp on the U.S. economy. Just like put a big boot to it, slow it way down so that inflation would start to really drop. And I think that the thought is, or at least this is my interpretation, is that inflation came down just a little bit, not a lot, just a little bit. But the economy is now like rebound, rebounding or looking better than it should. And the Fed's going to say, well, this is weird. We better kick this up even bigger, raise points more than they even were going to think to do. And the economy will grind to a halt. Again, there's a thousand interpretations of this. Um, but... It's something that I follow quite closely now, and it's just I just find it interesting. I don't know what's going to happen, but I do think it's kind of weird that the stock market is moving up almost close to 11% below its high. That's just ridiculous yeah. when you think of what's going on. And yet also the numbers came out employment. I actually am doing a, a blog article and a, and a little video that will come out hopefully this next week on that very this very topic, the fact that that unemployment – is actually lower than it's been in 50 years. What? I mean, you you just hear all this bad bad news and everything, and yet, you know, unemployment is is down and wages are actually up. Last that came out last week too that wages are actually up. So what's going on here? It the article that I was pulling this from just called it like this is weird. It's like this is economic weirdness. Things are not making sense. And so, what is the Fed gonna do? Because they're the ones that are going to, you know, get in here and try to mess with things. What should they do? It, it's not clear what they should do. I don't know. Do you yeah. follow this kind of stuff at all? Like the Fed and that kind of interest rates and stuff? I I mean, I will I'll hear bits and pieces now that I'm involved with crypto. Um, as, you know, I'll see the little things that come in through chats, whatever it is that are happening with the Fed and raising interest or lowering interest rates, all of those things. But we, and it's hard to know, it's hard to gauge what's going to happen. We're in times that have never been seen before. Right. And there's That's so many factors coming in. It doesn't feel to me like we've hit bottom. And I don't, I don't feel like this is the way up and then we're going to just keep going up. That's my 
total personal feels yeah. and standpoint. I think that we are, I don't think that we've, with everything that's happened in the last couple of years and what's happening now, I think that we have a lot to face still and we have a lot to work through. Um, yeah, it would be sure. very strange. Like you said, it'd be yep. very strange if we we're just sitting here and we're like, okay, things are getting better now and it just works its way back up. And I just don't see that happening. Um, but that's, yeah. again, my personal, my complete personal stance on that. Yeah. Well, we're up just a bit over an hour. Um, I had a couple more, but I think we can end on that. I don't want to stay, don't want to go too much longer than an hour just to kind of sum summarize that, that, um, I, I agree with you on, on, on that because it's almost like if we don't, what's the word I'm trying, you know, go lower, if we don't go lower and I, and I really am talking about crypto and the stock market, everything really, um, I feel like we're going to pay a big, big price at some point if we don't, you know, we've got to, we've got to, things do have to settle down. Um, you can't, the Fed just can't print that much money to try to bail out. Really, that all comes back to the Fed printing money to bail out the banks and then the the Fed printed money again in 2020 to bail us all out from economic crisis, from the pandemic. You know, I never really have a problem. It's like when you're at that inflection point and, you know, people are suffering and you have the responsibility as the Fed or whoever to, to do something you know, I don't begrudge the fact that they made a decision to do something. Um, but you also then have to be realistic. Um, when you print money like that, you will get inflation. So nobody should be surprised, and I don't think anybody really is, that we are in this kind of inflation. The problem is this is hyperinflation. This is crazy. It's gone up faster than, I guess, even ever before. Um, and so, you know, I'm not saying the Fed shouldn't have done that, but I think we all need to understand why we're here and there was another interesting comment that someone made to me or i read that when the fed bailed out back in 2008 when they had the bailout and we were doing quantitative easing and that's kind of that's money printing and that basically is the fed just creating money out of thin air which deflates our dollar debases our dollar which it isn't worth as much anymore that will start to cause inflation because prices will go up. Our dollar's not as worth as much anymore, and we start to suffer. That's all, all basic. But they had lowered interest rates so low at that point because they were trying to get the economy to go back up after the 2008 crash that interest rates were basically zero, you know, 1%, 2%, zero, um, which was fine. That did stimulate borrowing. You could borrow money and, and get things moving again, but they shouldn't have left it there. That was the interesting thing was they, they should have used it as a, as a tool to get the things moving again, but then let them, what they do is they, they kept it down. They artificially kept interest rates lower because it's like, Hey, yippee, this is fun. The economy, things are growing. They shouldn't have done that. And I, you know, it was interesting. I, when I read that and, and I'm really understanding what the fed is and their power and how the, how, what they do really affects us and it affects us all in so many ways, even just in crypto, because right now they're they're linked together. Um, and so that may be a criticism. They, they shouldn't have left it there. You know, they, they have powers to do things, but don't get carried away, you know? So I don't know, a lot more to say on that because I do find it fascinating. The book I was recommending, let's see if I got it here. It's called The Changing World Order, Why Nations Succeed and Fail by Ray Dalio. Mm. Um, it's it's a interesting book. It talks all about this Fed stuff, all about what's happened in history, how things happened, what the Fed did, what the what, and then how the economies moved and what happened. And I think we, you know, everybody can really learn a lesson. What a great time for all of us, you know, when we're in this bear market to study and be learning this stuff and be looking at history. I think it's awesome. I think it's awesome that you're doing that. I'm doing it. Hopefully, you know, our viewers get interested in this too because it's all connected. Mm -hmm. But the, to leave it on a really positive note, though, I used to find traditional finance really boring. And now I find it exciting, not so much because I love thinking talking about the Fed and interest rates. That's still pretty boring. But it, it helps you understand what's happening in crypto. Because the same principles basically apply when you're investing. You need to have it's, investing principles 
are basically the same whether you're investing in stocks and bonds in that market or crypto. The basics are the same. But what's fun or what I find really interesting is crypto is so much more exciting than stocks and bonds, I think. You know, coins and projects and um, smart contracts and blockchains are so much cooler. I don't know what to say, you know, and more interesting. And so for me, it's like, yeah, I'm going to learn this stuff, but it's really because I want to know more about how these basically investment vehicles, these assets, basically, that we're going to invest in, how they behave, how they work, how I should, how should I invest in them? Should I, what should I do? And that's what I find really fascinating. And hopefully you guys do too. Um, Hit us up if you're watching this on replay and uh you got any questions or you thought something we said was ridiculous which i'm sure a lot of it some of it might have been i don't know or you agreed with us or whatever and let us know and you know we would love to hear some comments and we'll put some of that like if you guys really want to talk about nfts more or whatever we'll we'll do that right will we do that brianna yeah absolutely and i'm grateful for this talk today as always and i'm gonna read that book um right now i'm reading your book and so yeah. Scott, he's not going to say it. He's not going to say it because he's so humble, but he has a book. He's an author. Be the hero of your, be the hero of your own life. Be the hero of your life. Own life. Yes. Sorry. No, own. I've had just a be the hero of your life. Be the hero of your life. I'm sorry. I've known it, but I just have a lot of words going on right now. And it is, it's, it's a great book as well. So I have, I'm, I'm going to juggle the two. I like the balance of finance and personal development. I love those two combinations yeah. together. So yeah. yeah, and I recommend I recommend Scott's book to well, anybody as well. Thank you very much. Thank you very, very much. Yeah, no, we were just talking to, you know, before we got on, you know, how really our personal development, you know, that, that we are both interested in, how crypto just fits perfectly in that. It's just taking responsibility. And that really is my, my big mantra right now. It's like, take 100% responsibility for finances. And both Brianna and I are, not only just in crypto, but we're both now going, kind of going back and look. Say we, we probably could have been more, in, you know, smart about our traditional finances, and and by no means are we saying, and I would never say put everything into crypto. No, be smart. We still got to invest in traditional finance. So the more we know about that, the better I think we all are. Um, but as you, once you get the crypto bug, you will see that you will definitely, if you don't have anything in there, you get some in there, and now is the best time. Everything's on sale. Yeah get the crypto bug and you'll start to see why it makes sense. And then maybe, maybe you'll want to move more in or not, but I can tell you, um, you can earn four or 5% very easily try to do that in traditional markets. So I'm not a financial advisor. Anything we say here is not financial advice. So be warned, be your own responsibility for your own money. Yes, right, absolutely. Brianna, I, I was going to ask for that, but you know what? I think we just need to cut it off, but yeah. Best times are now. <laughs> we get we'll go on and on and on. But yeah, thank you, Scott, and thanks everybody for watching today. And we look forward to seeing you guys both next week. Bye, everybody. Bye.